All right, so we are in the second Sunday of Advent here. We are looking at peace. And our, we're going to be looking at a passage in Scripture from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah. I want to read it to you um, first, and then we'll uh, kind of go more uh, in-depth. Can you go to the start of the... Okay, so don't look at the screens. Listen to my voice because the, the words on the screen aren't the same as the words on the text that I'm reading. Isaiah writes, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord comes with might, and His arm rules for Him. His reward is with Him, and His recompense before Him. He will feed His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms, and carry them in His bosom, and gently lead the mother's sheep. Amen. So, when I say the phrase comfort food, what do you think of? What's that? Ice cream? Did I hear bagels or bacon? Turk? Okay. All right. So here's a definition. I looked up a definition of comfort food. Comfort food is traditional food which often provides a nostalgic or sentimental feeling to the consumer of that food, often characterized by high carbohydrate level and simple preparation. So I asked some of the uh, staff here at church what for them constitutes comfort food, and here are some of the uh, answers I got. One of our staff members, for her, comfort food is a bag of sour cream and onion ruffles. If you see a comfort food that you agree with, you can, you know, clap, shout out, amen, you know, run to Publix and buy it, whatever you want to do to, uh, to respond. So another of our staff members, for her, and this goes with one of the uh, comments down here, for, for her, comfort food is Moose Tracks ice cream eaten directly from the carton. No bowl, no, you know, just spoon in carton, straight to the mouth. So, um, another of our staff members, he prefers pizza. Pizza as comfort food. Yep. 
Someone else, I think, did I hear mashed potatoes? Yeah, mashed potatoes and gravy, meatloaf. That's another, are you getting hungry yet? Yeah, I'm kind of getting hungry too. And so, um, fortunately, I brought my favorite comfort food with me today. Um, it's, uh, it's Cheetos. Yeah, so um, I only do the crunchy kind. You know the kind, if you eat a lot of them, you get... You know, you have the residue on your fingers. So yeah, Cheetos are my favorite. They're my favorite comfort food. But any, any others that we missed? Has banana, bread. banana bread. Very inter- high carbohydrates. It, you have to buy it, though, to make, you know, low on the preparation part. Otherwise, your mom made it. So low on the preparation part for you. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, but... but Tell me, when you have uh, had your comfort food, uh, how long does it last? To, yeah, until you come out of the carbohydrate coma, then it's then you need you know need another you need another dose of the comfort food. So sometimes there are situations in life that are so uncomfortable, that are so challenging, that it doesn't matter how much or what kind of comfort food we eat. It just uh, doesn't work. And so as we turn our attention to, we're going to kind of break down this passage in Isaiah chapter 40. As we look at it, the, the first thing we need to keep in mind is that the prophet was speaking to a group of people who were at one of those points in time that it didn't matter how much comfort food they ate their situation was uncomfortable to the point of being intolerable. And so that's why the the prophet begins, that's why the passage begins with Isaiah speaking these words to God's people. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And so to understand what was going on at the time God gave these words to the prophet to speak, um, you should be aware that when we move into Isaiah chapter 40, biblical scholars believe this is kind of beginning a new section of this Old Testament book. Um, Many biblical scholars believe that Isaiah beginning at chapter 40 is the work of a new prophet writing sort of in the spirit of the original Isaiah, but speaking to a different situation. That, the, that this, and they call this, this prophet second Isaiah or deutero-Isaiah, and they believe that the time frame of his ministry was likely between about 550 before Christ and 515 before Christ. And what was going on at that point in time is that it followed this. It followed the Babylonian defeat of the nation of Judah, the destruction of the city of Jerusalem, the demolition of the temple of the Jews in the center of Jerusalem, and there were many people, many Jews who lost their lives, and of the leaders who remained, most of them were were carried away into captivity in Babylon. 
So they, everything that was familiar to them, everything they knew was taken away from them and they were people in need of comfort. This was a time of national crisis. And so the, the crisis, some of it you would understand, some of it you would expect having been through, having witnessed this violence, having been one of those who was affected by being carried away into exile in another land, in a strange land, seeing kind of the, the things that you had relied on all of your life being uh, taken away from you, those are the things that you would think would um, be devastating to a group of people, and, and that's true. However, it, the exile also created another, an additional layer of crisis, if you will, because the, the Babylonians worshipped a whole set of other gods, gods like Nebo and Marduk. And so, when the people of Judah were defeated by the Babylonians, what came with it was this uh, implicit question or this wondering that perhaps these Babylonian gods were superior to, were more powerful than the God that the, the ancestors of the Jews had worshipped, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And to make it even more complicated, when the exiles were carried away into Babylon, many of them found, because remember, these were the leadership class of people. They were highly skilled and used to, um, uh, they, were, they were used to being successful people. They found that there was actually greater economic opportunity for them in Babylon, in this land of exile. And so maybe the crisis for them that is unexpected is the spiritual crisis that happened when this God of their ancestors was either unable or unwilling to protect them from the Babylonians and their whole pantheon of gods. And so the people began to wonder if perhaps this God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob was all he was cracked up to be. I mean, the, the, the Jews kind of conveniently forgot that they were under God's judgment for generations of worshiping other gods. What they were really focused on was the pain of their current situation, and, and they began to wonder if maybe the God of their ancestors wasn't all he was cracked up to be. Maybe he wasn't the one true God after all. And so there are times in our lives when we might face similar kinds of questions when life gets so uncomfortable, so challenging, and so, so painful that we wonder if, if God really cares or if God's even there. And if there is a God, and this God is supposed to be good and powerful, how could he let all of this painful stuff happen to me, happen to people that I care about? Why do we have to, why do loved ones have to die? Why do we have to face financial crisis, relationships falling apart, economic challenges? And why do these things have to hurt the worst at the holidays? We can relate to what the Jewish people in the exile in Babylon were thinking in their time of crisis because we have been there as well. 
Isaiah knew that the people were in crisis. Scholars believe that Isaiah was, in fact, one of those carried away into exile in Babylon. So he was one of the ones who was experiencing this spiritual crisis, sitting by the waters, looking across at Babylon, reflecting back on their homeland, and Isaiah was very grounded in the reality, in the pain and the suffering of of his people, because he was there. He was one of them. And yet, God gave Isaiah this vision that God was up to something else at the same time, that God was doing something greater beyond just the, what, what the Jewish exiles were experiencing there in Babylon. God allowed Isaiah to see that the Babylonian empire was beginning to crack and crumble and lose influence. God enabled Isaiah to see that God was raising up King Cyrus and the Medo-Persian Empire, and their approach to exiles was very different than the Babylonians who wanted to swallow up whole peoples and obliterate their religious customs and their economic ways and their social structure. The the Medo-Persians were different. Their approach, King Cyrus' approach, was to allow the exiles to return to their homeland, to reestablish their social order, their economic vitality, and their spiritual life. Isaiah saw that God was using this time of exile for His purpose, to call His covenant people, the Jews, back to a time when they didn't have a king when they didn't have a capital city, when they didn't have a temple. Isaiah could see the connection between what God did for His people in the exodus of bringing them into the promised land and what God was going to do in the near future in returning His people from exile back to that promised land. And so in the face of this crisis that the people were dealing with, in the, in the face of thinking that the, the God of their ancestors wasn't powerful enough to deal with the Babylonian gods, the Lord gives Isaiah these words to speak to the Jews. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The prophet is promising this this pathway that God is going to speak into existence for the people's return from exile. Not that it was easy for Isaiah to wrap his mind or his heart around how God was going to do this, we can hear in what he says and writes that he was torn. The voice from heaven says, cry out, Isaiah. And the prophet responds, what shall I cry? And Isaiah continues with this perspective, I think. You know, I've, I've been to Jerusalem during its destruction. All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, 
The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. We can't stand under God's judgment. Surely the people are grass. The voice from heaven speaks in reply to this almost hopeless response from the prophet. Yes, Isaiah, the grass does wither. Yes, the flower does fade. But the word of our God will stand forever. So get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him, and his recompense before him. What the voice from heaven is saying through Isaiah is, don't worry about the strength of the Babylonian gods. The Lord can speak his reality into existence with the word. He is a big God. Regardless of what the situation was in Babylon, regardless of what the situation that you may be facing or I may be facing, no matter how difficult it is, what the prophet Isaiah wants us to know, what God wants us to know, is that we serve a big God, a God who is able to accomplish His good purposes, no matter how difficult the situation we may be facing. So if this Advent is a difficult time for you, if you are facing challenges or hardships, difficulties, if it's creating a spiritual crisis in you, hold on to these words from the Lord to His people, to the prophet Isaiah, to us. God will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother's sheep. It's the same kind of sentiment that the psalmist captures in this 56th psalm. I love this image. You, God, number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? An image of God catching every tear that we cry, putting them in his bottle. It's an image of God who gives us comfort when we hurt. It's an image of God who draws near when we're suffering. So, friends, I invite you to come and gather at the table for some real comfort food.